Welcome to the Discerning Gamer Podcast, your premium destination for all things gaming culture. We have the latest in gaming news, reviews of the hottest new games, discussion and analysis of the games of yesteryear. When you're short on time and need your gaming fix, look no further than the crew who know their master chief from their master sword. I love Halo. Your hosts, Joel, Simon, Casey, and Ferg. So toss a coin to your Witcher and answer that call of duty. It's time to level up. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Discerning Gamer Podcast for this week, Wednesday the 16th of March. Although, by the time this comes out, I think it'll be probably Thursday the 17th of March. But, you know, we've got to start somewhere. Uh, very excited to be with you this week. It is a huge, huge week in gaming news. And uh, with me, as always, to uh, dissect the latest news and, and uh, have a big in-depth discussion, we've got the DG Crew. So with me, I've got the PC Gamer, the Sultan of Steam, the Prince of Pre-Orders, Ferg Fergamon Hamilton. Welcome to the show, Fergus. Good evening, JB. How are you, mate? I am fantastic. Also with me tonight, it's the gaming chef. He's more infamous than Cole McGrath. It's Simon Steely McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, Simon. Yeah, I... Uh, thanks, Joel. I have been known to cook all of my food with electricity. Well, and gas. <laughs> <laughs> That's generally the way to do it. And last but not least, she's the Nintendo Queen with a love-hate relationship of the Kirby and the Forgotten Kingdom demo. It's Casey C. Mac McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, Casey. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. And well, let's let's get straight into it. We've got some some pretty big news that's dropped in our lap uh, this week. So uh, the lovely people over at Sony PlayStation um, have announced the state of play for Thursday, March seventeen, where they will be uh, teaming up with Avalanche Software and Warner Brothers Games to bring us a special state of play dedicated entirely to Hogwarts Legacy, uh, which is a, a a game that really set the world alight when the trailer uh, dropped um, mm. late last year. Um, the trailer's actually been viewed over 28 million times. So uh, I think it might have struck a chord with uh, a few of the uh, Harry Potter heads out there, uh, a few of the people that, you know, really uh, want to just dive right into the uh, the Harry Potter world. I mean, is, am I saying it right? Is there is there a special name for this group of people that are just... Harry Potter obsessed, you know, I... not muggles. Yeah, well, I feel like I'm being a bit of a muggle here. I feel like I'm uh, I'm someone's dad trying to mansplain something that I don't understand fully. But um... yeah, I'm pretty sure you call them Potterheads. Yeah, Potterheads. Potterheads. I've heard that one before. Yeah, Let's go with I'm Potterheads. a pretty massive Harry Potter fan. Like I'm pretty up there. But um, yeah, yeah. I'm very excited. I'm. That's yeah. my Me too. most excited game. Me yeah. too. Well, this this has come straight off the uh, the Sony PlayStation blog where they're saying um, this new show will run for about twenty minutes. It'll have over fourteen mm-hmm. minutes of Hogwarts Legacy gameplay captured right on PS Five, which is pretty exciting. Um, yeah. And it'll conclude with some insight from a few members of the team at Avalanche Software who are 
responsible for bringing the wizarding world to life um and uh, they're promising to add a little bit more to the playstation blog afterward with a special post that'll just try and give a bit more context to it so i mean how is everyone feeling about the the prospect of hogwarts legacy is this a title that we're all excited for for sure yeah i'm i'm pumped jb on this one i think it was maybe it was 2020 they first um, talked about this game and gave a bit of insight, but this will be the first gameplay I think that they've highlighted. So it'll be yeah, really interesting to see how it looks. And I think the Potterheads, as we're calling, have been sort of starved for a really good Harry Potter game for quite a while. So, mm-hmm. so I what, think what was the last <clears throat> one? Oh, good question. What was the last really good Harry Potter game? <sighs> good one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Harry, was that Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets on Xbox? Um. No, I may. I played that on what well, PlayStation Two, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and that was yeah. that was rough. <laughs> <laughs> even for a PlayStation Two title, wow. That well, was rough yeah, to get it's... through. Even I was like, mm, "This is hard, <laughs> like well, to play and to swallow." Allegedly, this this game from Avalanche Software is a large open world Harry Potter game. I mean, a lot of the footage that they've showed, um, I believe it's set like 200 years prior to the events of you know Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone so we're dealing with a with a much older you know Hogwarts um, yeah. college of wizards and witches and i mean it's probably a pretty pretty ripe uh, little playground for them to play in you know where they're not going to step on any toes or or you know conflict with yeah. any of the existing canon of the Harry Potter stories which um, I imagine would be pretty easy to do. There's a lot of content there. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, how do we? I mean, an open world Harry Potter game. It sounds pretty oh. appealing to me. I, I really want to see where this one goes. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I think. That's- yeah, it's really exciting. I think uh, being a. I mean, I think Harry Potter's dying for something like this, especially because, like you were saying, Joel, there is just so much content in that world to explore. And I think it's going to be amazing to be able to go and just get right into that. And, and hopefully you get to participate in classes and things like that and really just looks immerse like, yourself yeah. in the world. It just looks like it's going to be amazing. And hopefully they deliver on it. Um, yeah, it's, it looks really cool. Fantastic. Well, if I could now throw the uh, gaming news over to yourself, Simon, I believe there Yum. was um, some information that you wanted to touch on regarding Nintendo Switch. Yeah, so obviously um, this is, have uh, you guys heard about this, you know about this. Um, a while back, we well, not a while back, it was only a really few weeks ago, we got word of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe DLC, which for a game that came out in 2013, I think is amazing that we're finally seeing some DLC for it. I mean, we, we got the original DLC that came out on the Wii U, which was um, two cups and a couple of characters, which is really cool. Um, I think... When it was on the Wii U, it was really desperate for content because um, it was one of the best-selling games on that platform. And that, you know, we all know how poorly the Wii U did in general. Um, But for all this time later to get DLC for this game because of how popular it is, is really positive. It's exciting. I mean, we're getting 48 courses and it (laughs) only costs in Australian dollars $35.90 or it's free for if you are subscribed to the Nintendo Switch expansion, uh, expansion, expansion pass. <laughs> um, Sounds so, fancy. I mean, 
Farnshuttons. Um, but it's amazing. I mean, that's 48 courses for the price of not even a full game. It's almost like you're getting another Mario Kart experience. And what I really wanted to touch on is what does this mean now for Mario Kart? Because these courses are going to be getting dribbled out over the rest of this year, um, right the way through to the end of 2023. So we're going to get this 48-course sort of spoon-fed to us in little amounts what does this mean for Mario Kart as far as what's next? So um, I just wanted to kind of touch base on what we think this means for Mario Kart going forward. I don't know if everyone here plays Mario Kart. I know that Case and I have been playing it a lot to try and get back into it, to get excited for the DLC. Um, but it's really exciting. And I just wanted to touch on what we might see in the next one. It's it's interesting that you've got forty what was it forty eight new courses coming out yeah why yeah. not why not just release Mario Kart nine that's exactly what I said but yeah I think it's um that all the courses though aren't new they're all from previous games so they're from you know the so we're getting like remastered courses from remastered like Nintendo courses. DS and yep. you that's know. it that's it even the uh, Mario Kart tour on the mo- on the uh, mobile so mm. I think. What I think personally, it's a um, a technique to what, what am I trying to say? Like stall and stalling. I think it's a stalling technique <laughs> to buy time to make the Mario Kart Nine. I think that's a good point, Casey. And I think that um, I think that's a portion of it. I think also um, this game is still the best selling game on Switch. Um, it's it's been one of the best selling games for years now. Anytime someone buys a Switch. They will have that game. It's on like it. the Grand it's- Theft Auto Five of Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> you, you actually and- took the words right out of my mouth, Casey. Was Did I? Yeah. This is <laughs> this is Nintendo's Grand Theft Auto Five. Yeah, for sure. And it's selling like hotcakes. And I think to myself, Nintendo is obviously a smart company. There is a huge install base for this game. And if they were to just go ahead and say, "Hey guys, here's the next one." Imagine all of those people that have just bought a Switch, say, in 2021, 2022, uh, over the, you know, that period, that get a Switch and they get Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, and then they're like, oh, but now a new one's coming out? Wouldn't you feel gypped? So in my mind, I think this is really smart. This is just prolonging the life of the game for the people that have already owned it for years, and it's also giving people... Um, that certified reason as to why they bought this game. And they're excited. They get more courses now and it doesn't cost that much. Like, I mean, that's baffling to me. It's less than a dollar a course. (laughs) So, um, but I think that this means that, say, in the beginning of 2024, we might see a reveal for a new Mario Kart. I think it's going to take a lot of time now. But I'm excited because I think now that they've released all of these older courses, that we're going to get a really fresh and new Mario Kart experience. There's a lot of talks going around about Mario Kart kind of taking in different IPs from the Nintendo universe and bringing them together almost like a Smash Brothers for Mario Kart. So lots and lots of different um, IPs coming into it. So I'm really excited for that. I think it's it needs a big change. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is one of my favourite Mario Kart games. It's just so tight and fun to play. But I'm really excited for what comes next. So I think this is a real positive thing. I think we're going to get a fresh experience, and I think it's going to be awesome. Do we think we're deviating a bit too far away from the original format of what made Mario Kart good? I mean, is what it's missing uh, that we need Pikachu riding around in a go kart? Is is you know, do we need um, I don't know 
Donkey. Oh, well, we've already got Donkey Kong in there, but I mean, do we really need to just pull in like you know Samus? Do we need to pull in all of these different Nintendo properties and just plop them in, plop them in the the carts to try and improve? You know, what's I would argue is a very good game already. I mean, is that? I agree with is you. Is that really going to make it I any think, better? Yeah, I don't think adding too many more characters makes it any better. To be honest with you, like I think a few more is good. But we, Simon and I were just saying last night. There are some characters in it which is like rose gold peach. <laughs> yeah. What is that? Who is that? That's an its yeah. own character. Like, why can't that just be a skin for her to choose from? Why, why, why does that need to? That's not a character. What is that? But I still think that going into all the other universes mm. of the Nintendo sort of catalog and bringing them together, it gives you so much more variety when it comes to course creation. You know, there will be so many different yeah, environments to Smash, go to in courses. Like Smash Brothers, there will yeah. be, you know, I think that you can then expand the items that are being used. It would be nice to see an adventure mode similar to Diddy Kong Racing. I mean, that to me is better than Mario Kart 64. I think it's a, a far more original experience. I'd love to see it go in that direction a little bit more and present a, a great, you know, single-player campaign um, where you can play a story and do boss battles and things like that and go across these different universes to do it. Whether or not it desperately needs to be a part of multiple Nintendo IPs, it probably doesn't. But, I mean, Nintendo has this habit now of keeping the Mario universe very closed. So, um, you know, from years back with Paper Mario being a lot of original characters, that's stopped now, and I think they're just closing the Mario universe. So this might just be an opportunity to open it up do something not dissimilar to what they did with Odyssey and just really expand on that Mario universe or that universe inside that game, you know, and just bring us a fresh experience. I think that's a good way to go rather than toying with the Mario Kart formula too much, at least giving us fresh places to race. So can I put a question out to all of you then about um, there's a game that came out um, last year, Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. Uh, I think it came to all the major platforms um, brought together, you know, all of the the biggest sort of characters that exist within the Nickelodeon universe, you know, characters like your SpongeBob and, you know, the R-Real Monsters characters and Ren and Stimpy and all, all of those sorts of characters. Would, would, would it be a benefit to the game or would it be maybe a detriment to the game? If Nintendo maybe looked at bringing in characters from from some of these other IPs, you know, throw throw Chucky from Rugrats into a go kart, or you know, grab, I, I don't know, I don't, what do you think? Or maybe even some of the Sega characters, you know, throw a Sonic in there, Tails. Uh, you know, I, I mean, Nintendo and Sega have a pretty close relationship now, with you know, as far as sharing a lot of the the big Sega IP characters. Um, yeah. Do you think that would would maybe uh, open up a, a new experience in Mario Kart worth having? I think it would um, muddy the waters a little bit. I mean, when you look at the fact that um, Nickelodeon already have their own kart racer as well, um, Sonic already has his own kart racing franchise. I mean, it's rubbish, but it's it's there, you know. Um, so I think to muddy the waters like that would create more problems than it's worth. I think sticking within the Nintendo first-party-owned franchises is really good because it's not like each of those races have to have a specific 
difference amongst them. It can just be, oh, great, I get to race this as Samus and, oh, great, I get to have like a cart that's based off of this franchise that I like or, you know, stuff like that. I think the customization aspect is what would be more fun about it, being able to see these characters race in this universe and use items from their universe in it. Um, but I think to keep it within the Nintendo bounds would just keep it on brand a lot more as well. And you could still call it Super Mario Kart or Mario Kart, you know. Well, the two courses they've got now don't have, like, they've got um, the Zelda one yeah. where you collect rupees as opposed to coins. That's cool. And um, in Animal Crossing, the Animal Crossing course, you collect, like, the Animal Crossing coins from the game. And I really love that. I think yeah. it's really cool. Mm. Speaking yeah. of Nintendo first-party IP... You've got Donkey Kong, right? He's he's cruising around. So, you know, after the original Donkey Kong arcade game that sort of spawned Mario, um, he, he's gone on to have, you know, Donkey Kong Country on SNES and, you know, all the titles that have followed after that. What happened to Donkey Kong Jr.? He's just... Well, I think that he moved away from home at a young age. He got a mad banana addiction, started <laughs> eating coconuts on the beach. Um, Doing coke? And- wow. <laughs> 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 fell in the water and couldn't swim and i mean i, I reckon there's days. an opportunity right there yeah donkey kong jr he had his own arcade game it was actually a pretty decent game back in the day as well and then he's just Falling gone off the face of the earth yeah never yeah. to be seen again replaced by diddy kong and Dan- dandy kong and you know flunky kong and all, all the all the <laughs> stupid bloody characters that they brought out for that, but yeah. Mm. Anyway, anyway, I, I mean, I'm interested to see where they take the series in a Mario Kart Nine because you know, outside of new courses, new vehicles, and new characters, you know, what else can you really change? So I'm interested to see whether they really try to shake up the formula and do something a bit different than what they've done. So mm. time will tell. Fantastic. But it looks like Mario Kart's not going to be any nine anyway is not going to be in the next couple of years so we're sort of talking no. 2024 now are we I reckon yeah. you won't see a Mario Kart 9 until a console to follow up the Switch is released basically. ah like a new launch title JB yeah mm. I'm telling you now it's going to be called Mario Kart 10 we're going to skip 9 altogether we're going to skip 9 Mario Kart Tour is Mario Kart 9 in my opinion they're including it as in Canada the series it's going to be Mario Kart 10 Mario okay, Kart cool. 10 better marketing Better so, get that little sa- sound clip of him saying that. Is <laughs> there a well. you telling me that there's a Mario Kart canon? Well, what is that? Super Mario Kart, Mario Kart 64, Mario Kart Double Dash, Mario Kart DS, Mario Kart 7, Mario Kart 8, but for Mario to- Kart 9 is clearly Mario Kart Tour. And then for there to be a canon, Mario- though, there, there needs to be a story that follows the the threads of these games. What What's the yeah, plumber? Uh, Plumber sits at home, builds a builds a go kart, invites all of his mates over, and then he goes, "Oh, you know what? I actually feel bad. This guy that steals the princess every year isn't getting to come out to these outings. I'll invite him and some of his buddies too, and we can all just have a fun time." That's I, that's the story. So I'm far. sorry, but after all the all the messed up things that Bowser has done to Mario over the years, there is no way. I wouldn't be inviting him over for a barbecue, let alone a go-kart race. And then half the races are set, you know, in, in facilities that Bowser clearly manages, like his castle and 
you know, the, 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 ghost, the ghost mansion. I mean, that's clearly one of his operations. You can't mean to tell me that, you know, King Boo is his own uh, entity now with, uh, you know, his own facilities that he's uh, in charge of. He's, it's all part of the, the larger picture here, you know. Oh, I'm sure there's a really deep story there somewhere. There, there is a real deep lore to Mario Kart. It's twisted. <laughs> yes, highly, highly disturbing. Um, well, uh, I would like to press on and we'll have a look at um, a, a segment where we wanted to have a look at what are the most anticipated games that we're all really, really hanging out for this year. And, I mean, I'll, I'll preface this by saying... Yes, some of the games that we mentioned may end up getting pushed back till next year because of COVID yeah. and such. Um, but you know, f- for the time being, there are some that have that have been announced that they'll be coming out this year. And so, I wanted to kick it off by talking about the game that I'm really, really looking out for. And um, my relationship with this this franchise began only this year when I went back and downloaded off uh, PlayStation Plus uh, 2018's God of War. And this was my first entry into the franchise. Never played God of War before. All I really knew about the franchise prior to playing this title uh, was that Kratos had been featured in Mortal Kombat X and he had some awesome fatalities. He had one where he'd sort of cleave this giant sword right through the person's guts and then sort of sort of fling it up and splay them in half it was it was amazing it was an excellent character in um in that mortal Kombat. but you know so i went into this thinking all right yeah it's a hack and slash i'm going in there i'm going to be you know tearing zombies and monsters and all that down went into it with that expectation and was just blown away by the story that um, the team at Santa Monica Studios crafted, where it wasn't just a story about you know going in and just killing everything and you know walking away, it was a story with a narrative about a father and his relationship with his son Atreus, the fact that you could tell that that Kratos loved his son but couldn't express it because of the fact that you know he's this big macho god and and meant to be. Yeah, representative of of all that's evil in the world, and um, there's the storyline about how he was trying to shield his son from realizing that he was a god too, you know, and had powers and all of that sort of thing, and took you on a journey with these two guys um, that really, at its core, was them trying to get to a destination to spread Atreus's mother's ashes. Um, you know, uh, at the at the culmination of the game, I was just blown away. I couldn't believe how good it was. And maybe the 2018 God of War is quite different from what came before on PlayStation Two, I think, and PlayStation Three. But it was just amazing. And the characters that that they introduced in in that game, characters like Freya and um, uh, you know Thor and Odin and all of these characters that that sort of formed the basis of that game, it just it just drew me in big time. And so this year they're announced. Well, they've announced a sequel, um, also being developed by Santa Monica Studios and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. 
It's going to take place three years after the events of the previous game, um, as this this great winter that sort of started at the end of uh, 2018's God of War is drawing to a close. And so it's all about Ragnarok, the end of the world. Um, it's all heavily tied in with this Norse mythology. And so now Atreus is a teenager in this one and um, trying to, you know, seek answers about his identity, you know, as a god and trying to prevent Ragnarok from happening. So they're stopping the end of the world. And so the premise of this new title is that Kratos and Atreus are going to go on another adventure. That they, they, they need to try and track down the, the Norse god of war, Tyr, who featured quite heavily in, in the previous title. And it looks like this time around you'll be able to traverse all the nine realms um, that that made up that the so you could sort of travel between realms in 2018, but a couple of them were locked out, so you couldn't you couldn't mm. go to like the realm of the gods and and a couple of the other ones weren't available. It looks like they're all uh, going to be available, and this time um, uh, Kratos and Atreus are going to be hunted down by Thor, the Norse god of thunder, and Freya, who was their former friend and ally and now hates their guts after Kratos uh, uh, rather unceremoniously dispatched her, her son. Um, so, Spoiler alert. Oh, <laughs> that, that'll do it. Yeah, well, you know, this this <laughs> happens to me every time I, you know, murder a, a demigod uh, you know, out in the world. I always end up with a... Uh, yeah, a, a vengeful mother on my trail trying to uh, kill me and my son. <laughs> so what are we thinking about God of War Ragnarok? Is this one that um, everyone's sort of looking forward to? I, I bet that I'm not on my own here. Yeah, I, I'll be honest as well. I haven't played these games before. They've come to PC in the last, I think only recently, I think maybe beginning on of Steam. the year. On Steam? Yeah, on Steam. And I think it's got like a the review score is like 98 percent so overwhelmingly positive so definitely one that's on my radar have we got a release date for this one yet jb or is haven't they've only said it will be this year but again um i would not be surprised in the least if if it ends up getting pushed out to next year yeah um you know this this just seems to be the the way that things are going at the moment um what about you guys simon and casey are you guys looking forward to god of war ragnarok Oh yeah, yeah. I that that first game, like I'm with you, Joel. I never played a God of War game, and just did not interest me at all. No, that was the um, first one. I, I I'm not big on those um, isometric sort of hack and slash games like Diablo and stuff like that. I'm not big on them. So for those games being of that nature, I wasn't really drawn to them at all. But once this came along, I was instantly captivated it took us a while to play though we sort of played it in little bits and pieces because our son came along (laughs) stopped everything i remember that that's no excuse come on it isn't an excuse i know i'm pretty ashamed but we we did finish it didn't we Mm -hmm. we got there in the end yeah little minute by minute plays (laughs) it's a masterpiece and i mean um It's, it's big yeah, it's a huge game. Yeah. It was so expansive and there was just so much to to get wrapped into. I'm pumped for the next one, um, especially to see this game run on PS5 and to see just those little improvements to all the textures and all of Raf Grassetti's work, 
he's an unreal character um, character sculpture artist, uh, 3D artist, and all of his art direction on those games, it was just second to none. The scope of everything was unreal as well. When you first see that serpent come out of the, the water and everything, I mean, that was mind-blowing to me. I just it was, thought... It was quite an overwhelming game, though. Mm. It was. I felt like there was too much. <laughs> the mythology is overwhelming. Especially yeah, when you I, have to... I just, st- I, Oh, I was just going to say, especially when you have to start fighting those Valkyries, the amount of times mm. I nearly threw my controller through the television because those <laughs> Valkyries were just pummeling me yeah. relentlessly and just not... They were just unforgiving. They were one of the most difficult enemies I've ever fought in any game. And I had the game yeah. on the story level of difficulty um, because I just wanted to sort of power through it. <laughs> And yeah. I was I was just still getting my ass handed to me time and time again. So no, it's I don't exciting. Know what, what they've got waiting I'm... in the wings to top that, but it can't be good. <laughs> Boy, Boy. So What about you? What about what about you, Ferg? What what uh, what title are you uh, looking forward to? Yeah, so <clears throat> the one I'm really hanging out for this year is, as I'm sure a lot of people is the new Bethesda Studio. RPG set in space called Starfield. Um, I think we saw first glimpse of it back in 2018 at an E3. They showed a bit of a bit of a trailer, and it's something they've essentially been working on since Fallout 4's come out. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a really exciting one. It's obviously Bethesda's sort of new first original RPG in about 25 years after you know predominantly working on the Fallout series and obviously Elder Scrolls. So. Um, you know, Todd Howard's come out and he's sort of descri- describing it as a Skyrim in space. So, you know, if it's half as good as Skyrim, it's going to be... Foos Rodar. That's right? it. <laughs> that's it. So, you know, I think it, it's they're sort of selling it and describing it as a bit of a an expo- exploration sort of a game. So, your character is basically an explorer in a sense. Um, it's set. I don't know, roughly, I think the year is 2300, so about 300 years in the future. Um, You know, they're talking, I haven't really given heaps of information about the character as per se, but just that basically you're an explorer and that's going to be, I don't know, the core of a lot of the gameplay and um, your motives. Um, Yeah, you know, a few other bits and pieces. They're talking that it's got twice as much dialogue as Skyrim, so... There's going to be a lot of. Was Skyrim particularly noted for having a um, lot of dialogue? Is that I, I hadn't heard that before. Oh, it had a fair bit. I mean, I think any more than any other open world. Game? Oh no, I think it had a lot, but I think Skyrim and similar to what we talked about last week. There's a lot of filler. Well, it had a lot, and then it took an arrow to the knee. So yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So look, they've got a date for this one. So they're talking. Uh, what is it? got it written here the 11th 11th of november which at the end of this year which um i think was the exact same date at fallout 4 so mm. interestingly jb to break your heart it's an xbox and pc exclusive this one. Oh, i know yeah so and hence <laughs> why it's not on my most anticipated games list because i you know backed the uh, the playstation horse uh, wholeheartedly and whilst yes uh, you know I don't regret doing that. I I think um the the big draw card for PS5 for me was the um the DualSense uh, controller which is just amazing and anyone who has used one of those controllers will will vouch for that. 
And Xbox, you know, or from from everything I heard, didn't really do much at all to update their controller from previous gen to current gen, and and um, you know, for the Xbox Series X, which I think is very very disappointing because if they had, I probably would have considered an Xbox Series X instead. But PC, mate. Uh, you could, well, could you join the uh, PC Master Race. Well, that'd be fine if I had a hundred thousand dollars to spend on, you know, hardware. And... You've got what do you got? Eight months. Start saving. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm I'm hanging out for this one. I think you know I'm a bit of a space nerd, so I love space and you know this open world sort of space exploration, um, and and probably you know that's probably my only concern with this game is that it. From the get-go, it sounds like it's going to be quite an ambitious game. Mm. And we've seen a lot of games like this have fallen over just as being a sort of a casualty of their own ambition, sort of being a bit too big and not really pulling that off. So so could we be looking at the next Elden Ring, perhaps? Mm. <gasps> I hope so. Don't know. We'll see. Elden Ring in space. Elden Ring in space. I don't <laughs> think it's going to be quite as challenging as Elden Ring. I think it might be a bit more... Uh, friendly to the uh, the gamer but we'll see so well look i love bethesda i love bethesda titles i think they're a great developer uh, like i think i've said before it broke my heart when i heard that bethesda had been bought by microsoft and you know presumably that means all of their uh, their titles are going to become you know xbox and mm. pc exclusives but uh you never know one can hope Hopefully, the next Fallout title becomes a uh, you know one that uh, that they decide to release on both, but probably not. Um, yeah. uh, what do you do, Simon? Um, what would be your most anticipated game for twenty twenty two? This is this is a hard one to think about. Obviously, um, there's a lot I'm really excited for. I'm cautious, cautiously optimistic about uh, Sonic Frontiers. Now, I say that because we haven't gotten a good Sonic game in 3D, in my opinion, since Sonic Generations. And even that, as an experience as a whole, still not my favourite Sonic experience. Um, I I think that, um, you know, this is a hard one because this, this team, Sonic team, always kind of promise a lot of good stuff. And um, we saw that with Sonic Forces when it got announced. So, like, from the people that brought you Sonic Colors and uh, Sonic Generations. And I think there was a guy that basically designed the box art was one guy that was a part of the team. I don't know. Like, it was barely anyone. It had nobody to do with those two games. They just rattled on this sort of, well, that was popular, so let's say that. And then the game was just kind of basically nothing. Like, it was a very uninspired boring game there was it's not like it was unplayable or broken it was just extremely boring and pointless and what they're saying now with sonic frontiers is that it's like a big reinvention for the series it's like a complete overhaul um and from the information that we've received on it it's going to be a bit of a blend of an open world experience tied in with some of the sort of high-speed experiences we had within the Generations game and Colours and the daytime stages in Sonic Unleashed. So it's going to be a bit of a blend of both. Do I think it's going to work? I don't know. Like, it's it's hard because I'm really excited for it, but I just want to see some gameplay because, I mean, the best Sonic game that has come out over the last 
I'd say even 20 years was a fan game, which is Sonic Mania. Like that is a game made by fans, um, given the green light to go ahead and make an experience that is just so true to the original 2D formula. It just felt right. Everything was so well presented and well done. And I just think to myself, in my head, I would kind of steer to giving this project to fans um, for a 3D experience. The best 3D experience I've played is a is a fan game um, <laughs> called Sonic Project Hero. It was a test stage, and it just was so fluid. Sonic controlled so well. It was quick. Um, I'm just I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm anticipating it, but I'm more anticipating a trailer for this game just so I can see what is actually involved we've only seen environments and i'm just um i'm worried that it's going to be some more of the same but having said that they've got um ian flynn i think that's his name anyway he's uh the writer for the comics um apparently the sonic community is really plussed with him as far as as his stories are concerned so should be really good um to to get a decent sonic story um whether or not the gameplay stacks up is yet to be um seen Indeed, I I almost feel like Sonic would be would be ripe for a, for like a a game similar like Super Mario Maker, um, where you could actually make your own courses, have fan made courses, uh, you know, a lot of that sort of stuff. I'd love to I'd love to see him do mm. something like that and set it in the Sonic universe where you can you know put in your big loop the loops and you know you could just go nuts with it. Like I think it'd be amazing yeah. to see what people would come up with if they ever went in that format but uh, that is awesome that's such a good idea and i think there's um fan projects that have done that online but they're just a little bit sort of janky and and not quite fully fleshed out but imagine that that would just be unreal you choose your own environments and kind of um it would be a way to sort of cap off the series the same way that mario maker did for 2d mario i think it's a really smart idea um, but I think that Sonic has always had trouble transitioning into 3D and he's always going to have that trouble until they sort of find a formula that works. But it just feels like every game is an experiment at this stage. Mm-hmm. I reckon you keep keep it in a 2D format, open it up, let let people pull from you know the various different eras of Sonic and the various enemies and things that you would come across, you know, Sonic 1, 2, 3, Sonic and Knuckles, you know, just make it make it like that. And, and just let people build these, you know, crazy courses, have it so that you can jump between characters, switch from Sonic to Knuckles so you can, you know, break through this wall over here or glide across something that, you know, needs, you know, gliding, you know, just, just sort of open it up. I reckon that, uh, that, that'd that have to be a good thing for the series, but... Yeah. Oh, it'll be interesting to see. see where things go with Sonic <laughs> Frontiers, I reckon. Yeah, so that, that one's um, scheduled for holiday twenty. 22 so that's the end of the year interestingly up just a fun fact it's coming to pc as well so there's already a pre-order steam page but um it's very so bare you'd be onto that already uh Ferg, um, no doubt well like it's it's very <laughs> you have no idea what you're sort of pre-ordering it's a very very yeah. it sort of yeah. says sonic and then it just says holidays 2022 and it and i think there's a small blurb about you know the brand new sonic game coming to pc end of the year and that's about all the information they've given you on the Steam page. So, yeah, you could pre-order it, but who knows what you're pre-ordering. So, I think we might have to just hang tight. Will we get an hour of entertainment for every dollar spent? I wonder. <sighs> I don't know. I can't remember how much the pre-order was, but... Mm. Well. <laughs> Worth considering, Joel. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Uh, C-Mac, um, what have you got for yes. us? What uh, what can you not wait to uh, fall in your lap? Well, 100% Breath of the Wild 2 on the Switch. But I feel like that is going to be a next year push out. <sighs> so but, yeah, definitely. Where Breath are we the thinking they're going with Breath of the Wild? I mean, you, you would have to argue Nintendo... Captured lightning in a bottle with with Breath of the Wild one. They they churned out <clears throat> what so many people have said was a, a phenomenal game. I'm probably in the minority. I enjoyed Breath of the Wild, but I actually preferred um, Twilight Princess um, to Breath of the Wild. Uh, that that stuck to what you'd consider to be the more traditional Zelda formula, where you go and you know do a dungeon. Um, you know you you get the dungeon key, the map. You know and and you get some sort of super weapon that allows you to, you know, progress further on in the game. I, I mean, I, I just love that format. I'm probably a bit old school in that way. You know, Ocarina no, of Time I agree was, with you as well. was great. I, I yeah, just... I agree with you. And I found the – I did find, number one, the story – I keep saying this to Simon really let me down. I feel like it, they were sort of more going for the mechanics, you know, climbing, being able to climb everything and – more side questy sort of things and the main story didn't really capture my interest as yeah. much so i really hope hoping for number two to have more of an in-depth story into the whole world more you know like twilight princess had a very in-depth story yeah i just um, found the, the dungeons were very generic in breath of yeah, the wild um, yeah the dungeons weren't quite what you know but i think they were trying to go for a different sort of angle on the whole series and i appreciate that and i enjoyed it for a game but um i uh, yeah i agree with you yeah so i'm really i am really excited for number two to see how they improve on that i guess but we can only see i'm just i like everything <laughs> zelda so i'm happy with everything i think when you look at um a zelda sort of sequel as well look at ocarina of time and the difference between that and majora's mask i mean majora's mask completely even though it took all of the same assets from ocarina of time it flipped that idea of using the ocarina on its head and really buried you in the world of being able to use the ocarina to go between time and stuff like that and and it had more specific uses and i think that um Nintendo is not just going to go for the same experience again, but with differences, it's going to go for a much more fleshed out experience. Mm. We're going to have more story. I think we're going to have, you know, you see in that um, trailer that we got where everything's up in the sky, there's just going to be more playing fields and more exploration. And I, and I dare I say, think that they're going to open up to giving us some more traditional dungeons now because there's a whole part of the world that's going to be in the sky. What's underneath that? And I mean that that I think is kind of shown in that very very first trailer that we got, where Link and Zelda are cruising through this underground sort of amazing, you know, this amazing structural sort of thing underground, where the body of what we understand as to be Ganon is under there. And it's, to me, I think that's really exciting. I'd love to see those old school dungeons come back. I'm like you, Joel. I think yeah. that that's a really um, iconic formula to bring a little bit of that back and trickle it back in i think is a really smart move yeah yeah i mean that's that's what would really draw me in i think on a on a new zelda title i, I just want to see that i mean i i spent long enough with breath of the wild i played through the whole game 
mm-hmm. found every one of the, I think there was 120 of those little mini dungeons everywhere. Korok. And, oh, no. And, well, however many there were, like some of them were yeah. real, real tricky to find. I had to resort to some online walkthroughs and stuff to, to find certain mm-hmm. certain ones. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a great game, really good launch title for the Nintendo Switch. Um, I mean, you'd have to attribute a huge amount of the Nintendo Switch's success to to how that that title did at, at launch and and everything yeah. um so i mean for the for the purposes of of what it was supposed to do it really did its job um i wonder whether breath of the wild 2 will get the same reception honestly yeah i'm really on. hoping yeah sorry yeah go Oh, it's just saying the world's moved on a lot since breath of the wild we've had a lot of new properties yeah. come come through um, some amazing titles. I mean, what what year did uh, Breath of the Wild launch? Was it 2017? Yeah, 2017. Yeah. Yeah, sounds about yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of a lot of amazing games that have come out since then, and well, hopefully Nintendo have changed with the times and and you know um, bring something new to the table, keep everyone interested. Because I, I think the thing that draws me in most about Zelda is the story. I think it's that it's just incredible and amazing. Like I didn't really think too much of it until I met Simon, and he sort of told me how much in depth the Zelda world is in terms of rich story. And yeah, Breath of the Wild one just didn't really do it for me. <laughs> didn't really give me much more information than I already kind of knew in a way. So yeah. yeah, I'm really, I'm really hoping and excited for number two, and I'm also excited for Hogwarts Legacy. Just stick that in there as well. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm going to say one, but Hogwarts as well is my second. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Ooh. I think it's time for us to go back in time. Retro gaming. And so what I want to do is I want to take you on a journey back to the year 1995. I'm at my friend Steve Labardi's house. Hi, Steve, if you're listening. You won't be, but hi if you are. Um, <laughs> and uh, Steve had a Super Nintendo. Uh, amazing. He was a big, big Nintendo nut, him and his sister. Um, and he had a game that I'd never seen. It wasn't in any of the shops here in Australia. I don't even think it launched in Australia um, back when it had its original release. I think it was... Japan and US only, maybe Europe. I'm not not entirely sure, but uh, he was very lucky. He had he had the game, and he also had the adapter to go from US style cartridge to to the the PAL style Australian console, and it was a game called Chrono Trigger. And I, I tell you what, I had never seen anything like this, and uh, you know. To be quite honest... Yeah, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. Absolute hurler. <laughs> this this would have to be one of the, the most amazing um, experiences that you could have had on Super Nintendo, especially if you're a fan of, of RPGs. And uh, it was one of these, these times where, like, RPGs at that time were, were so linear in nature. You know, uh, there was very little deviating away from that that set formula you had to go here fight this person go here fight this person and and there really wasn't much deviation away from that and chrono trigger whilst certainly a lot of the game was very linear 
um, you sort of got to a point in the game where you we you basically you you'd done the bulk of the main story. You were gearing up to fight the end boss, um, which the the end boss in Chrono Trigger was a, a boss called Lavos. He appears twenty five million years BC in the past and burrows into the earth, and then he appears in like the year. 2050 or something in the future and destroys the world and so uh the premise for chrono trigger is you're traveling back and forth through time and as you go you're, you're picking up new allies and people that are gonna gonna join up with you and your your crew and then you get to a point where where you just start leveling up preparing you're going and collecting loot to try and you know defend yourself as best you can against lavos and then once you you reckon you've had the best crack you can, you, you go and you fight, you go and fight him and try and beat him, and he's a pain in the ass. It was one of the hardest bosses that you could have possibly fought in that um, in that era. Ironically, though, not the hardest boss in the game. That would that would go to when you're in BC times, twenty five million years BC, the furthest back you can go in your time machine, and there's a, a boss called Son of Sun. And you have to fight him to get the sunstone. And oh, I'll tell you what, I must have bit the dust a hundred times or more, you know, fighting Son of Sun. Because if you hit him in the wrong spot, he would retaliate. And it was a one-hit kill. It was just, it was just bang, you're dead. Doesn't matter what what army you've got or, you know, how, how far leveled up your character is. If he, if he got you, it was just bang, you're dead. And uh, it wasn't until the the joy of sort of emulators came out where you could sort of save your game state and then reload if you died and stuff like that that it became marginally easier. But maybe this is where um, Elden Ring and their, their formula, it's, yeah, yeah, the From Software formula <laughs> came from back in the day. But Chrono Trigger, amazing, amazing game. Um, you know, one of the, the biggest titles that Square Enix sort of uh, had back in the day before... Before Final Fantasy, even I think I think it predates Final Fantasy. Yeah, I think they were um, they weren't even Square Enix back then. I think they were Square. I think yeah, because what, what was Square Enix story? I think it was two companies that merged in the beginning of the two thousands. Square and Enix merged to become Square Enix. Yeah. So I think Square. Yeah, it might have been a Square Soft title. I yeah, think. I think, yeah, that's, I think that's what they were known as back in the day. Um, has anyone else played Chrono Trigger? I've never played it, Joel, but I know the game. Um, if you go to Google and you do any kind of search involving, you know, best role-playing games of all time, it is always at the pointy end, whether it's number one, in the top five, top ten. Um, yeah, I've never played it. Um, interestingly, I was just having a look. It actually is available on Steam now. As of 2018, they, I don't know, did a PC port, which is it's not a remastered version of the game, but it's yeah. what they're calling a, don't do it, Ferg. a definitive edition. Um, and at the moment, it's 50% off. For nine dollars, so I'm let, thinking. Let me tell you a little something about that, Ferg. Sorry, I'm going to jump in there, mate. Um, that is a. This has caught a lot of controversy when that came out. It's actually a port of the mobile port, so it's a port of a port. <laughs> port um, of the game, and apparently it's just there is a lot wrong with it. There's a lot not going good, um, which is really unfortunate because again, uh, with with you, Ferg, I've not played the game, and I would love to pick it up and play it but not if I know that I'm going to battle with bugs the whole time, especially when Joel's just talked up about how hard it is. 
um, I would not be interested in dealing with the hardness and the bugs at the same time. Yeah, I'll do a bit more of a deep dive into it. it interestingly enough, it's been pretty well supported since they've moved it across onto Steam from what I can see. I think they actually had an update for it at the beginning of the month. So, oh, yeah, you know, my words. Yeah, well, I don't know. For $9, maybe I'll... Uh... Mate, it, it'll be $9 well spent. If you like that, that sort of <laughs> 16-bit era... RPG sort yep. of title games like you know Secret of Mana, um, uh, a Zelda a Link to the Past. You know, th- there's probably hundreds of, of titles that you could you could list off that are just you know amazing. Um, that that sort of fall within that that sort of era. Um, it's definitely definitely one of the best. Yeah, of its generation, you know, in my opinion. And, you know, I had it on Game Boy Advance. I had it on, I've got it on my phone. Um, I had it on Nintendo Wii when it came out on Virtual Console. Just everywhere that that I could um, find it, I've, I've downloaded it. You know, I've probably paid for it, you know, 10 times or more, but, you know. Um <laughs> It's just testament to how good the the, the actual game yeah. was and um, still is to this day. It's just fans have been screaming out for like like a sequel um, to follow it up for years and years and just haven't had anything. It'd be amazing. I heard a little whisper on the grapevine that maybe Square Enix were going to do a remaster of it and bring it out on you know next gen sort of consoles. I don't know how true it is. But oh man, if they did, I'll be I'll be buying it again. Yeah, buying it for the eleventh <laughs> time. This is interesting. There is a um a sort of sequel of sorts to it called Chrono Cross. Have you ever heard of that game, John? I have. Um, I mean, I, I I'm a little bit confused as to how it sort of fits in with the original game. I don't know that it's a yeah. straight sequel. Maybe a no, maybe yeah. a spiritual successor, perhaps. Um, but you know. One of the the big things with the original Chrono Trigger, the like some of the things they did in that game were just like nothing else for that time. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a, a point in that game where you're you're the main character Chrono, and he just gets incinerated, dies, you know, in in, in the middle of the game while he's fighting an enemy, and you're just like, what the hell has <laughs> just happened? And then you have to follow this this you know story quest. To bring him back, bring him back to life, and it's just like it was just amazing. Um, the characters in the game are just amazing. Um, you can only have a group of of three fighters at any point in time, but you can customize. They've got spells that that work, you know, as a group of two or a group of three. So when you all combine, you can generate, you know, amazing sort of uh, attacks on on bosses and stuff. Um, it was just fantastic, basically. Um, definitely one of the best of its of its generation. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, yeah, a game that comes out in 1995 and, you know, 25 years later, it's still at the, at the top of, you know, RPG greatest games. You know, it says a lot because, mm. you know, video games and, you know, the technology and has come a long way. So definitely says a lot about the story and, you know, and just how good of a game it, it was. So. Yeah. yeah, for well, sure. If if it's out on Nintendo Switch online and you're a subscriber to that service, get it because uh, you won't be disappointed. Um, I can only dream. Yeah, 
Casey, uh, what um, what would you like to discuss for retro gaming? Well, I was thinking of talking about Paper Mario on the Nintendo 64 and the GameCube. That's gold, Jerry. Gold! <laughs> it's definitely gold. <laughs> yeah. What a brilliant, brilliant game Paper Mario was. I say that in the very past tense. I don't think um, I've ever played it, uh, to be honest. You've um, never played it. No. No, so Paper talk, Mario, talk, talk yeah. us through the, the premise of Paper Mario because I'm, I'm intrigued as to why it's captured your imagination so much. Oh, it's It was probably my most borrowed blockbuster video game when I was younger. It's just a Mario RPG. I think the first game was called Mario RPG. Super Mario Super RPG. Mario RPG. Yeah. <laughs> Another square RPG. Yeah, but um, then Paper Mario came out, which was sort of more of the polished version of it on the 64. And it's just an RPG and it's... I don't even know how to explain why it's so good. You just had, like, characters following Mario. You collect people as you go along. You make friends and, yeah, it's just the way... It's just I've never... I don't really like RPGs that much. Like, I have Pokemon and... Paper Mario, that's pretty much my only two that I like. And, yeah, it's just the, the way that what just made it so special is just levelling up was really fun and just lots of different abilities and different badges you had to wear, which made Mario stronger and the stories were fun, lots of side quests. I don't know, it was just lots of new characters in the Mario world that we hadn't seen before. And then it followed up with Thousand Year Door on the GameCube, which was just phenomenal i just absolutely love that as well and then yeah things just went downhill for paper mario after that and it just turned to shit pretty much after that and yeah they just threw away all the mechanics that made paper mario what it was so yeah i just like to to keep playing those first two over and over and over and i know them back to back back to front back to back Side to side. Up and down, side to side, diagonal to the other side. Yeah. So how did but, you feel the, yeah, the series progressed? Um, yeah, from Paper Mario <laughs> one to two, like um Oh, what... you mean from, from number one to number two? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to even think of how it, it what I liked about the second one is it kept lots of the mechanics from the first one, but you know, upgraded graphics and a whole new world. So Mario was transported into a completely different kind of town. So it was it was a completely different storyline. Like the whole thing was different, but they kept the core mechanics of the game, which was, you know, you you, you RPG. So you go into a battle and you have specific moves you can use, and um, you have a partner with you at all times that you can swap out for different partners. And you know, for example, you there's a bomb who's your partner. So you use that bomb in the real world to blow up things, or you can have like a Cooper who has wings, so you can use that to fly over certain gaps. Or, you know, there's a boo that's your partner and the boo, you know, can hide you and make you invisible. So, you know, you had these partners which gave you abilities as your character. And I just, I'm trying to think of how they improved on the second one. It was just. It was funny because with the second one, they kind of took all of those mechanics and then turned them up to 11. You know, it was it was sort of like the 
the character that used to be able to make you go invisible, instead now you could suck them into the ground and that got used so much through the game to avoid certain enemies or to, to progress to other parts of different levels. And it was just so interesting. And, like, I never really cared or heard about Paper Mario until Casey told me about it. Forced him and to play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I first played Sticker Star and I was like, oh, yeah, that's all right. And then Casey so that was, yeah, but- yeah, that was Paper Mario on the 3DS. 3DS. And that just, yeah, that's when it started going a bit downhill, I think. Hmm. But, yeah, it's just, a, it's just a really fun, easy, but, you know, very you progress a lot in the game and you, you know, you try and level up as high as you can. Very similar to, to Pokemon, you know, you try and level up your character as much as you can. But, yeah, it just as the series progressed into the Wii U and I'm just thinking yeah, what, Origami King on the Switch, yeah. which is just a nothing game. They just took away what made it Paper Mario, you know. It's, yeah. It's funny. I think um, Paper Mario has... And I think it was kind of similar in Super Mario RPG, this mechanic where there was sort of action mechanics within your turn. So you don't just have a turn. You don't just kind of press attack and then your character attacks. You can actually use action commands. That's what I was trying to say to jump on enemies. And if you time them properly, you do more damage and things Sorry like that. that. There goes some headphones. Um, but you do more damage and things like that. I think it was a really smart way to keep an RPG really interactive because sometimes you feel like, oh, I know that this move is going to do this much damage, but, hey, if I actually have an opportunity to do more damage, it turns the tide in battles really quickly. Um, and what I loved about it as well, there were so many little side quests and so many different characters in the Mario world Whereas the new Paper Mario is literally everyone's a toad. Every single character is a toad. And I just wanted to just cry the whole time. It was just foul, (laughs) to put it nicely. It's pretty uninspiring, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like how well you can't. It's so unimaginative of Nintendo to do that to such an like the first two games, the, the plethora of different kind of characters. It was just so rich. And I just. I love it. And if you can get hold of it and play it, you'll love it too. Like, it's it's a really good game. Even it's, the it's even a good game now. Like, yeah. it, not even a nostalgic point of view. I, I tell you, it's just fun. It still holds up. And yeah. it's still better than all the games that came out yeah. after them. Yeah. Um, and to follow up with what Casey was saying with the, the array of characters, in the first two games, it was kind of like you were playing a storybook. And then yeah. as the games progressed, I mean, Super Paper Mario was still along the same vein, except that they completely toyed with the formula. But once it got into Sticker Star and Color Splash and Origami King, the games became so self-aware that, like, in the very recent um, instalment of the series, uh, Origami King, you're fighting pencils at one point <laughs> because... It's Paper Mario, and they've gone right down to that stationary route of everything. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's He's a incredibly uninspiring. It's like I'm fighting a boss that is a stapler or a pair of scissors, and it's yeah. just like, what is this? Like, this is the most boring thing I could even think of doing. Um, but, but, yeah, the first two brings back a lot of good memories for me at Blockbuster, hiring for my seven-day hire and trying <laughs> to finish it after school. <laughs> You know, it's funny, Casey. I remember, you know, going down to Blockbuster, you know, or, or 
uh, other places. I can't, I can't even remember. I think it was a place near Video me. Easy. Game, <laughs> Game Mania. Uh, I think it was uh, near, near me and uh, going in there and hiring a game and then just you know, thumbing through the manual on the way home in the car, (laughs) you know, trying to, trying to learn all you could about the game. And then, you know, finally getting home and loading it up. And then, you know, a lot of the time being, being pretty underwhelmed by what you, what you ended up. I think I, I remember hiring Sim City on the the SNES at one point and being so excited (laughs) that I was going to get Sim City and, and be able to play that. And then, you know, got it. That's why I all, like, yeah. No. That's why I always hide the same thing over and over because I knew <laughs> I would enjoy Paper Mario or you know Mario Kart, <laughs> very basic games. But yeah, love it. Well, fair, fair call. Uh, what about you, Simon? What um, what tickles your retro gaming fancy? I'm going to go down the same because I've been talking a bit about Sonic today and I'm going to go straight down the Sonic path right the ways back to Sonic and I'm going to say one, two, three and Knuckles. That is amazing and I haven't got the sound ready and here it is. I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. (laughs) Fantastic. Wow, things are going so well tonight. (laughs) Tell us all about Sonic, Simon. Oh, I tell you what, um, just as I was talking about before, this is the pinnacle of, of Sonic. And the reason why I am so attached to it, A, it's the first game I remember playing. I mean, the, the first Nintendo experience I had was on a Game Boy. So when I started playing Mario, it was Super Mario Land. And that, to me, was already amazing. But this is the first kind of experience I remember having is playing Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, those four games... Um, the music is banging the whole time. It's just banger after banger. Everything slaps music-wise in all those games. It's unreal. The art style of it is incredible. And I'm going to say something that is incredibly controversial, but those games, each and every one of them, all control about 50 to 60% better than Mario ever did on the NES and the SNES. Um, it's tight. Sonic controls so tight in those games. It's fast. And I just think that they brought something fresh with every game. I mean, we got some amazing sort of storytelling for the time um, out of Sonic 3 and Knuckles. And that sort of that ability to be able to get a game cartridge and put it in and then click in another game on top and something different happens that blew me away i could all of a sudden i had knuckles and sonic 2 i had you know sonic 3 and knuckles was like a cohesive full experience where you could play from the start of sonic 3 to the end of sonic and knuckles and then they they had the 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 hyper emeralds and all that kind of stuff whatever they were those gigantic emeralds knuckles just keeps a whole bunch of big gems in his basement you know it's just it's awesome i think that those games are unreal and then for that to have built upon when sonic mania came out just it was like a dream come true um but I have so many fond memories of playing those games, of borrowing them from Chaos Video from uh, Millicent back in the day. Just you know, it was always something I was incredibly excited about, and the even just the box art just gives me a wave of nostalgia. Um, I mean, I saw it in an op shop not long ago when we went out to an op shop with Casey, and I was just like, oh wow, like 
Sonic 2. And I kind of just went, that that box art just brings back this flood of memories of playing Sonic late at night. You can't save these games. So if you're going to beat them, you're beating them that day. You know, you're playing them or you're leaving the, the Mega Drive on all night and that bad boy's going to overheat. Like, you know that thing's going to overheat and things are going to get dicey towards the end of the, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I'm going to have my Cocoa Pops and maybe, you know, like a glass of juice i'm gonna go back to playing this game and you know and that's if someone hasn't wandered out during the night and gone oh oh, someone's left this on and and switches it off yeah 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 but no um it's got to be that yeah that in that original sonic one two three and knuckles unreal they're just such great platform experiences and hold up today like they are just still so much fun to play and i just love them to death couldn't yeah. agree more, Simon. Yeah, I, I care that one as well. I mean, my cousin had a Sega Mega Drive, and I remember every time we went around to his house, that'd be one of the first games that we'd boot up. Is that it would have had to be Sonic either one or two, sort of that mid nineties, and like you said, Simon, just like the iconic, the sound of the games. Like even now, I can still remember and hear the sound of you like rolling through the rings and the sound yeah. that those rings would yeah. make as you'd roll through it, and yeah, and the, the music and the green. Yeah, zone that's and- it. And- and just just the speed was the other thing I always remember about how quick you seem to be moving on the across the screen as you were, you know, traversing across the levels before the boss fights and stuff. And yeah, an amazing game. Yeah, fantastic. And so to close out retro gaming, um, Ferg, uh, what what retro game tickles your fancy? Yeah, a couple of retro games I'm going to talk to you about today is a couple that are sort of. I mean, these days, dubbed as the godfathers of the first-person shooter, and that's uh, Wolfenstein 3D and Doom. Mm. What a pair. Let's go, Jerry. Go! Couple of classics. I mean, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, what what's my first memories of, of gaming in general? And these, these are my, you know, two of my earliest, but two of my fondest as well is just, you know, I just remember playing these games... On, it would have been my dad had an old, I think it was an IBM sort of DOS <laughs> operating system computer, one of those like real classic, you know, boxy, um, you know, computers that are sort of iconic. And, you know, when you yeah, think 90s, well, it's sort of one of the first bits of tech that flash into your mind. But yeah, the old 486, you know. Uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, there's just nothing like fighting Adolf Hitler in a giant mechanized suit. Armed with uh, with twin miniguns, yeah, twin miniguns. So, yeah, um, like I just... mean, you know, it's it's how I've always pictured Adolf Hitler, you know, from history um, uh, towards the end yeah. of World War Two, just Absolutely. just gunning people down in, in 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 his mech with his twin miniguns, uh, you know, just asking for a uh, you know for an ass whipping from. Uh, from from someone, yeah, that's it. I, don't I, even I just remember the name of the character in the Wolfenstein oh, game. Uh, Bj uh, Blackskovitz. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that sounds about right. Bj, yeah, Could be, yeah, yeah. But you know, I I remember we weren't allowed to actually play these games, so they were sort of password protected on our computer. But you know, me and my brother, I, I, and I don't know how, but we found a way that as you booted up this old school PC, if you sort of spammed, I think it was the F1 or the F2 button. You'd get a menu which would let you run the computer in basically administrator mode, and wow. therefore all the all the passwords would be off. So we used to, you know, rush home from school, fire the computer up, spam the F two, you know, get the computer <laughs> going, and and we used to sit there, me and my brother, and we played Wolfenstein and Doom sort of nonstop until we could see the lights 
of mum's car sort of coming in the driveway and then we'd be frantically <laughs> turning the computer off and, you know, acting like we hadn't been playing it. But, yeah, it it's funny. Like, I, I don't even remember there being a mouse input on either of those games. So, to be... I reckon they were purely keyboard-driven. Yeah, so you're um, just sort of, like, strafing around a map and... You know, there's some things in those games which still are like iconic. So, you know, Wolfenstein, for example, they used to have, you know, your character's face. And as you would take damage and get more and more hurt, your face would sort of like bleed up. And yeah, by the time you're bruised. in your deathbed, you know, your face would look pretty proper mangled. So outside of like the Wolfenstein games, I've never seen anything like that. And like you said, you know, Doom was basically, you know, hell had opened up and you're basically fighting these, you know, these demons and these, you know, crazy looking. I just remember the the most horrifying uh, enemy in Doom. It was sort of like a like a red disembodied yeah, the big floating blob, blob with yeah, a the giant blob. eye on it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> oh man, you know, for for me as a, a young kid, that was just that was just terrifying. Yeah. You know, you'd laugh at it now to be in a Mickey Mouse cartoon these days, but um, yeah, but you know, great games. You know, and again, I remember the soundtrack. You know, have been really really good on those games and. The other lasting memory I have is always sort of replaying the first couple of missions. So I, I, I can't actually remember if maybe we had demos of the games or whether the game was that hard that, you know, I just wasn't good enough to get past the few, first few levels, but sort of replaying these same, you know, first three levels just over and over and over. And, you know, it was great. The Wolfenstein games as well we used to have like secret rooms that you'd have to find. So you'd forever looking for hidden things and, you know, behind paintings and stuff like that. And they were just, you know, unbelievable games. And similar to what, you know, Chrono Trigger was doing in 99, these were, you know, the next sort of step up as far as, you know, first person shooters. And they were really starting yeah, to. Boundary pushing. Absolutely. And you think about, you know, what those games look like now and how far we come, it's just unreal. But yeah, I just those games always hold a special place in my heart just for, you know, the memories that I had me and my brother, you know, hacking into this PC and sort of getting an hour and a half in after school before mum got home from work was uh, I remember yeah, doing a similar thing with the original Leisure, leisure Suit Larry. Yeah. Which uh, you know, it would it would when you booted it up, it would ask you for for questions that only adults should know the answer to. Like they weren't explicit they were just like trivia questions and one day my mate hendo and i we sat down we we answered all three questions correctly we booted into the game and we had no idea what to do like we were out the front of the casino just wandering around and then his brother popped his head around the door and said oh you know dad did you say the boys could play leisure suit larry and he's, no i bloody didn't you know and then uh, that was it we were kicked off the computer and it was all shut down so uh, yeah, good times. Great times. Yeah. Well, that's about all we've got time for today on the Discerning Gamer Podcast. You can obviously reach out to us. We are Discerning Gamer Podcast at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. We are Discerning Pod on Twitter. I got it right this week. And uh, <laughs> we are uh, Discerning Gamer Podcast on Instagram, Discerning Gamer Podcast on Facebook. Feel free to reach out to us on any of those platforms. Drop us a line. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you want to hear more of. And we'll see you next week.